0: I'd encourage you to grab your Bibles. We're going to be in Psalm 25 this evening. Pastor Tim started a new series, The Crown, last week, but we're going to take a break this week, and I'm going to preach a sermon for you from the Psalms, specifically Psalm 25, and then we'll be right back to our regularly scheduled programming Uh, Next week, and back in the crowned series, but we're going to look at one of the Psalms together this evening, Psalm 25. Hopefully, you were able to find that in your Bibles. If not, it's on the screen for you. Let's do this together. Let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. I'm going to read the whole Psalm for you. Here we go. Of David, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O oh my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your, path, your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your namesake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear Him, and He makes known to them His covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for He will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distress. Consider my affliction and my trouble, and forgive all my sins." Consider how many are my foes, and with what violent hatred they hate me. O guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. The reading of God's word, amen? Amen. You may be seated. We're going to look at this whole psalm tonight. Believe it or not, it's not going to take us all nights, I promise. But we're going to look at this whole psalm. Uh, I was thinking, you know, as I'm preparing a message that's kind of a standalone message, kind of a one-off message, it can be difficult to just take a random passage of Scripture and preach that without giving, I don't know, greater thought or greater context. And so the easiest way to do that was to take a psalm. take a psalm. And you know, I love the psalms, and we'll talk a little bit about what that looks like tonight. But we're going to take this entire song that was written by David, and we're going to examine it, and we're going to apply it to our lives. And so as the psalm indicates, it is a psalm that was written by David. David wrote many of the psalms. Along with Asaph, along with Solomon, there's some psalms that are anonymous, maybe even potentially one of the psalms that was written by Moses, Psalm 90. But there are many authors to the psalms, and there is 150 uh, different psalms that you look at, if you just open your Bible naturally right to the middle, it always falls to Psalms because it's the largest book uh, in the Bible there. Typically uh, it will, but there's many, many Psalms, many songs. It's kind of like your Spotify playlist, right? You have a playlist that you go to that you uh, often revisit, and depending on what kind of mood you're in, uh, the type of music that you listen to kind of helps boost your mood or at least makes you feel better. And that's really what the psalms are. They are songs and poems that are given to us by God for the purpose of us to be able to sing them and to pray those psalms uh, back to Him. So as we look at this psalm today, you'll see that it was categorized in two different ways. It was both a song of lament, a complaint to God, and also a psalm of confidence. And that'll make sense as we get into it. So a a continued brief background on the book of Psalms, as we discuss Psalms being a collection of 150 songs and poems, it's broken up into five different books. Did you know that? The Psalms is actually broken up into five different books, which were separated by a doxology. And some people believe that the reason it was broken up into five books was to reflect the Torah which was the first five books of what we refer to as the Old Testament, but is more commonly referred to as the Hebrew Scriptures. So not only do we have these five books with all of these songs and all of these poems, but there's different types of songs and different types of poems, just like we have different genres of literature or just like we have different genres of music. Various types of psalms that fit into multiple categories. Some psalms fall into the category of laments and complaints that people lodge towards God. There's royal psalms. There's psalms of thanksgiving where the psalmist is thanking God and giving God praise. There's wisdom psalms. And there's even smaller categories that are kind of sprinkled throughout one of those categories being the Psalms of Ascent. And so there's all kinds of songs that are contained uh, within the book of Psalms. Interestingly, I think this is interesting. Maybe you don't think so, but as a Bible nerd, I don't know. I, I kind of find this interesting. The Psalms, some people debate this, are the most cited book of the Hebrew Scriptures quoted in the New Testament. It could possibly be Isaiah, depending on some scholars, how you break that down, but it's one of at least the top two, if not the most cited or quoted book of the Bible, in the New Testament, at least. And moreover, the Psalms are the most quoted book of the Old Testament by Jesus Christ, which should tell you something of the importance of the Psalms. Psalms aren't just a daily devotional, right, where you read it and it's like, oh, I feel better. There is importance uh, to the Psalms. They have application to our lives. And what I find most helpful, at least for me about the Psalms, is the ability for the psalmist to portray the human experience. If it were not for the Psalms, at least, I would have a lot of emotions and thoughts that I wouldn't know what to do with. Times where I feel down or depressed or frustrated or overwhelmed or times of doubt or fill in the blank. And the Psalms provide for me a category in Scripture to which I can turn to and say, Lord, thank you, God, that I can relate to the psalmist and what he's going through in this particular psalm. Additionally, knowing that Jesus quoted. The Psalms, more than any other book, gives me encouragement at least when considering that we do have a Savior who, like in Hebrews 4, says that he understands our weakness and faced all of the same testings that we do. That Jesus felt the pain and the anguish that we feel. That God the Son stepped down out of heaven and experienced life the way that you and I experience life. That he was familiar with suffering. He was familiar with the difficulties that you and I experience just by living life sometimes. And that God subjected himself to that so that he would have the ability to relate with us and us with him because God never asked us to do something that he himself wasn't willing to do. And so for me at least, the Psalms help me relate to my Savior, to relate to Jesus, and help me understand and give greater meaning to Christ's suffering here on earth. You see in Psalm 22, verse 1, the words that Jesus quoted on the cross when he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They also reveal the glory of Jesus few other books in the Bible do this the way the Psalms do. Go and read Psalm 2 and tell me that that Psalm isn't a direct reference to the Son of God and to Jesus Christ, that Jesus was the begotten, the only begotten Son of Jesus. It reveals Jesus in the Old Testament in a way that no other book has the ability to do. So full disclosure, as we hop into Psalm 25 today, It fits within the category of a song of lament. This is a complaint to God. And I have to be honest with you, I struggled with this a little bit in my preparation. I read this a few weeks ago in my devotions, and I found it encouraging at the time. And when I knew that I was going to be preaching this weekend, I decided that I was going to preach on this psalm. And I struggled because I just didn't want to believe it. I didn't want to take it to heart. I didn't want to apply it to my life. I wanted to continue to walk in the ignorance of my own heart, and I wanted to continue to do what I wanted to do without acknowledging what the psalmist here is teaching us to do, which is to trust God in the midst of life's difficulties, to trust God in enduring affliction. And I didn't want to learn that. I wanted to stay kind of in my own little world and not allow the psalmist to teach me how to lament and how to complain, essentially, to God. So I jumped on it, I got into it, and now we're going to work through this difficult psalm together. And I assure you that by the time we're done this evening, you'll learn, just as I learned and am learning, how to have a resting posture of children of God entrusting him in the midst of our affliction and our suffering. Oftentimes when we go through something difficult, our knee-jerk reaction is, Why, God? Why would you do this to me of all times? You know how busy my life is right now. I can't take this on. You know everything that's happening, the details of my life, and you're going to allow this to take place? you got to be kidding me. And we shake our fist at God, and instead of turning to the only one who can actually help us, we turn away from him. But tonight we're going to learn from the psalmist, from David, how to have this resting posture of trust in God, even in the midst of enduring affliction. This specific psalm, as you read it, you'll see it's 22 verses, and it's 22 verses because it's an acrostic psalm, which means that each section begins with the following letter of the Hebrew alphabet, because it was meant to be remembered. It was meant to be one of those songs that you listen to, and the chorus kind of catches in your ear, and you keep singing it all day long. Why? Why was it meant to be remembered? Because a lot of our life is filled with suffering— Isn't it? If we're honest, it's filled with affliction, it's filled with difficulty, and if we could remember this song, it would be able to draw us back to a place of having this resting posture of trusting God. And so because it's written in this way, it can be difficult to outline, but we're going to break this psalm into a few categories to learn how to suffer well from David. We're not talking about the intentional act of seeking out suffering. Sometimes it seems like we Christians have this complex with suffering, right? But we're not talking about seeking out suffering. We're talking about the kind of suffering that is common to all of our lives that we all need the wisdom to endure. So if you're here today thinking that I want to avoid this discussion, I just want to encourage you, it's in God's Word And it's a necessary reality that we must face and embrace and prepare for. And the psalmist is going to teach us how. Because of the structure of this psalm, because it can be challenging and hard to outline, what we're going to do is we're going to take this loose structure and follow the structure given to us by David and pick up on some major themes, which will help create for us a pathway For how to walk through whatever we're going through in our lives right now. And the first thing that we see is an expression of trust, verses one through three. It begins with this expression of trust from David, and David says, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. This was actually a Hebrew saying where the psalmist is saying that I direct my desires towards God that I'm going to take all of my attention, all of my focus, and I'm going to direct my desires towards God. The psalmist is desperate, and he can't find rest anywhere apart from his God. In a further expression of trust, the psalmist says that, Oh my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. This is more than just embarrassment. This is an admission on the part of David to God that unless God does something, unless God intervenes in his circumstance, he stands no chance against the enemy. And the enemy will gloat over him and mock him, and this will be a reflection upon his God. David is completely dependent on God in this moment. David then reminds himself and us as well that no one who waits for God will be ashamed. In fact, it's those who are wicked and evil that will be ashamed. They will have their day, but ultimately before God they will stand in judgment. Waiting wasn't a passive resolution. He wasn't just resolved to say, ah, there's nothing else I can do. Instead, Waiting is accepting God's timing. It's accepting God's timing in the midst of what seems like impossible circumstances. You've just got to trust God because there's nothing else you can do. There's no amount of worrying that's going to change your circumstance. There's no amount, there's no amount of problem solving or figuring things out that's going to get you through you are resigned to say, God, I have no choice but to wait and to trust that you're going to show up and do something that I can't do. And the psalmist models for us here what it looks like to trust God, which takes on this form of waiting. And from here, we move into the next section of this psalm. After he has this expression of trust, there is then a desire in the psalmist For guidance and forgiveness. You see this in verses 4 through 7. Listen to the request of the psalmist. He says in these verses, make me to know, teach me, lead me. Those who trust in God, those who trust God are willing to wait for him and their desire is to live in such a way that is pleasing to him. They actually have a desire to live in a way that is pleasing to God. To receive God's guidance, we must learn to walk according to his word and according to his ways. If you want God to guide you through whatever it is that you're going through, you must walk according to his ways. You can't continue to walk in the stubbornness of your own heart and in your sinful ways. You can't be certain of God's guidance if you continue to say, God, I need you, but I'm going to continue to live life the way that I want to live life. You need to actually learn how to walk according to God's word. He provides for us a picture of God's guidance, which is provided then through forgiveness. He does this by First, asking God to remember. God, remember. Remember your track record of mercy and steadfast love that have been from of old. God, you're known for being a faithful God. You're known for being loving and for being steadfast. Remember, God, who you are. Remember how time and time again you were faithful to deliver the Israelites from their affliction. Remember, God, how faithful you were to a people who were unfaithful. Exodus 34, verses 6 through 7 says, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. So first the psalmist says, God, remember. Remember that you are a forgiving God, that you are a merciful God. And then the psalmist says, God, forget. Forget the sins of my youth. There are things that we have all done, experiences that we all have, that you can often recall in vivid detail and wince and cringe because of your actions. You know that there are things that you've done in your life that cause you to be embarrassed before God and think God could never Forgive me for that. And here the psalmist is saying, God, forget. Forget those actions. Micah 719, He will have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. Psalm 103.12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. God, God, forget our sins. Amen? This is actually the hope of the gospel, is it not? To receive God's guidance. We don't rely on our own virtue or on our own goodness so that God might forgive us our sins. We have to be honest here. We have a condition. We are all terminal. We have Sin in our lives, this disease that apart from God, we can do absolutely nothing about. We've tried, even those of us who have been Christians for a long time, know this. Why do I keep doing these things that I hate? Why do I keep giving in to temptation? I've been a Christian for my whole life, and I still struggle in ways that I thought I would have been done struggling with by now. We have this condition. We can do nothing about whatever is going on in our hearts. We can't win that battle on our own. David helps us to understand this, that we can't do anything about our own condition before God. And so the only hope that we have is to learn to wait on him who is merciful and to pray for forgiveness, that he might guide us through this life. David then further drives this point in the next section home as he begins to praise God for his goodness and mercy in verses 8 through 10. So what kind of God do we serve? We serve a God who is good and upright. And I love that the next word is the word therefore, Because it means that God is good and upright only if he would instruct sinners in the way that they should go. Insinuating that God would not be good if he didn't give us a way out of our sins. The fact that we serve a God willing to teach us his ways reflects the goodness of the God we serve. And it's here we find another key word in these verses. It's the word Humility, humble. The humble are those who are aware of their condition before God and are willing to admit their need for him. God's goodness, his faithfulness, and steadfast love cause us to respond to the condition that we have and to admit that we are all sinners in need of grace. Verse 10 shows that since God deals with us in this manner, we should then be able to imitate him. If you want to know if you've received God's forgiveness in your life, the free gift of his grace, it comes through in our ability to imitate God. It comes through in godliness, not by trying to be godly, but having received forgiveness from God having received his faithfulness and his steadfast love, it causes us to be moved to a place where we respond in love towards him and then faithfulness to him. Somehow by the spirit being able then to keep the covenant with God, which is to walk in godliness and in holiness. David rounds out this section, beginning to pray, reiterating what it is that He already asked for, asking God, be faithful to your name. Pardon me from my great guilt. And it's here we see this incredible promise of friendship and certainty of God's guidance. The result of trusting God, looking to him for guidance, being honest about our condition and praising him for his goodness is friendship, friendship with the God of the universe and the certainty of him leading us through life. David tells us that it is the one who fears the Lord who he will instruct in the way that he should choose. We don't fear God. We don't. We don't even think of fear of the Lord as something that we desire. If we don't fear God then we are putting ourselves in the place of God and we're not being honest about the desperation of our condition. That we can do nothing apart from him and that without him, we are destined to eternity, separated from his presence in hell. We don't fear God, not anymore. We treat God like he's our buddy, right? We treat God in this way where we're disrespectful and irreverent towards him. But if you want to actually have a friendship with God, it begins with being honest about your condition before him and fearing him so that he might invite you in to his counsel. We need to learn the fear of God, not being afraid of God, not being afraid of him but respecting him, giving him the reverence that he is due. If we don't learn the fear of God, we forfeit not only the assurance of his guidance, taking our lives into our own hand, but we miss out on one of the greatest promises of this psalm, which is friendship, friendship with God. If we learn the fear of God, though, The psalmist tells us that we will abide in well-being and our offspring will inherit the land. As if to say that if we fear God, we need not fear anything else. Which is exactly what you're looking for, aren't you? All of the situations and circumstances in your life that cause you to feel anxious about tomorrow... God is saying, no, if you would learn the fear of me, if you'd learn the fear of your father, if you would learn the fear of God, you won't have to be afraid of anything else because I'll order the steps of your tomorrow. I'll ensure that you get to where you need to go because you're going to walk with me in friendship. To learn the fear of God results in a profoundly intimate friendship with God where it says he makes known to us his covenant. In the Hebrew, the word friendship means counsel and counsel, meaning friendship and relationship, but then also wisdom, the wisdom that comes from knowing God intimately in relationship. You have the kind of relationship with God where he lets you know his secrets and you share inside jokes together. That kind of friendship, right? Where he says where your friends say something that only you understand. You can walk with God so closely and you can hear his voice so clearly that you'll know the way in which you should go because you are friends with God. That's the promise that the psalmist is giving us. And then he begins to pray. He prays for protection and intervention from his situation and for deliverance. God can be good, and our circumstance can be bad. The two are not mutually exclusive. It's at this point that the psalmist draws us back to the reality of his circumstance. He remembers what it is that he's going through. You know, there's no historical context for this psalm. We don't know what David is facing. But I find that helpful. Because none of us really knows in this room what any one of us is facing. But we can relate to what David is talking about in this psalm. David helps us get our head on straight, and then he leads us in prayer for whatever it is that afflicts us. He says, Be gracious to me, for I'm lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distress. Consider my affliction and my trouble. Forgive all my sins. Consider my foes with what violent hatred they hate me. Guard my soul. Deliver me. Let me not be put to shame. David knows that his enemies have no power over him unless God holds him accountable for his unconfessed sins. Which is why David in verse 21 says, May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. He is trusting that God will answer his prayer for deliverance because of what God has done for David. It's a prayer of faith. He's got no one else to turn to. All David can do is wait. Which is where you might find yourself today. All I can do is wait for you God. I can't do this on my own. I can't do this in my own strength. I've got this condition known as sin and I can't help myself. Father, forgive me. Be merciful to me. Remember your steadfast love. Forget my sins, God. Don't hold them against me. The enemy would love nothing more than to make an embarrassment of me and to bring shame to your name. God, Father, remember your great name and deliver me. And the psalm ends. We don't know what happened, we don't know how things turned out because David is still waiting. And so maybe tonight you are still waiting. As the worship team comes, let's turn to God in prayer. Amen. Father, God, I thank you, God, for this psalm. God, I I know that we could be from different walks of life here this evening. God, it, it might look like that we have this all figured out. We've got money in the bank. All of our needs are met. But God, inwardly, the troubles of our heart are enlarged. Or God, maybe our circumstance is obvious. Maybe we struggle and the whole world knows it. It's obvious to the world around us. God, it doesn't matter where we're at. God, we all share this same condition. God, we all have a terminal illness. It's called sin, Father. Lord, I pray that humbly we would be able to admit our sin before you. God, that we would confess, and that we would place our faith in you, God, the only one who is able to forgive us of our sins. And Lord, as we wait on you, God, we pray that you would deliver us, God, from our affliction. Help us to trust in you, to wait on your timing, we pray.